Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Piki mai kake mai and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ with me, Alison Balance. Tonight, I have a story about connecting with nature and with history. I recorded it before the lockdown when I was able to join a group of entomologists heading into the Zealandia Eco Sanctuary in central Wellington. It was just on dusk and it was calm and overcast. We arrived at the designated spot in the forest, started a small generator to power a very bright ultraviolet light and spread a large sheet on the ground. We're just getting set up in twilight. We've got our light traps on. Eric's getting the vials ready. I'm just setting up the data logger here for our science readout. And Um, what are we in search of? Moths, Lepidoptera, all things with four wings, scales. So there's a very large white sheet on the ground and a very bright light. And the idea is that the moths will get attracted by the light, flounder around and be easy to see against the white sheet. Is that how it works? Yeah, that's right. Honestly, most of them, if you leave them alone, they'll just settle out, chill out down by the, the light there and gives us a chance to have a look at them and um, grab the ones that we haven't seen so we can do our species study. So you're selectively shopping for moths tonight? Yeah, that's right. You could say that. And every every trip we've done, there's been slightly different things on the shelves, so... It is always a bit exciting to see what's in stock. How long have you been shopping for? Seven months. We've still barely scratched the surface of what we know should be around here, so it's still pretty exciting. So I should get you to say who you are. I'm William Brocklesby. I'm a member of the Entomological Society in Wellington, and we come from all kinds of backgrounds, and there's seven of us here tonight, partnering with Zelandia, Te Papa, Department of Conservation, all kinds of people are helping make this happen. Great. Well, I'll go and catch up with the others. Cool. So what brings you here tonight? Who are you and what are you doing? I'm Andrew Simpson. I'm a local video maker. I am friends largely with Will, and he wrote me in to take pictures of bugs. Um, and then I kind of fell in love with it. And so I joined the Entomological Society and have been really lucky to be able to come along on three of these trips. So, yeah, it's just a lovely night and amazing to see what sort of things pop up and we get to see all sorts. So, it's, yeah, it's really good. So, date night with moths. Yeah, date night with moths, yeah. <laughs> and what about you? I'm Mary Knowles. Um, I'm a student, and I'm uh, researching with Tapapa over the summer as an intern. So I just got to come along and see what it's all about. Hopefully. So this is your first time? Yes. Oh, so you're a, a moth novice like me? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so who are you, and what are you doing here? My name's uh, Eric Edwards from the Department of Conservation, and uh, um, I'm an insect sort of person for looking at conservation issues, and uh, Zelandia provides some great historical context for a neat thing to do with moths. So, so what is that context? It's a place where quite a pioneer person who's very special in, in the Wellington business district and, and also for his, uh, his natural history observations um, when he lived here 100 years ago. 
and and so this is the place he lived, just on the ridge called Messines Road, just just behind where we are now. And he used to go for walks very often, and he recorded everything in his notebook. Yeah, but it's, it's the moths that George Fernand Hudson was really about. He was an illustrator as well, and, and his illustrations are so good you actually can use them as a guide to try and understand what it is that you're holding. Wow. But his, uh, his catalogue of, of what he found then is what we're trying to revisit now. That'll be fascinating, us see what has changed in 100 years. That's right, that's why we call it the 100-year moth project, and, and we're just beginning, you know, it's going to take us a couple of three years. It's revisiting that, that history and learning what's changed. And sitting at a light like this is a way of seeing a lot of what's there. Just in, in one night you'll see you know, more than 20 species, quite often you know, more than 50 species on a good night. So it's a way of documenting pretty rapidly. Oh, well, I look forward to seeing it. What are you expecting in terms of size? Little wee ones? Some big ones, maybe? Well, uh, uh, New Zealand's biggest moth does, does live here. Zealandia is a stronghold for Puriri moth and you know, a great big ghost moth that's beautiful uh, to see if you, if you live in the North Island. And sure, there's a lot of species of micro-moths. They're the hard ones. But they tell a powerful story, you know, um, because moths are good botanists. Females are only going to lay eggs uh, on the plant that, you know, that suits her caterpillars to grow on. And so when you see the moths, you're actually seeing the flora, the different kinds of plants, the different kinds of lichens, the different sorts of leaf litter that moths are living in, and, and it, it tells its own story. Oh, we might have our first moth. So Will has a very small moth in a pothole. Gymnobacter, right? So it's a species of, of litter-feeding moth, so the caterpillars for this live in leaf litter under shrubs. And there are lots of species within that, and another fun part of this project is, is the social process around people learning and, and also doing science at the same time. How many moth species are mm. we talking about? How many in New Zealand? So in broad terms, the, the native vascular plant flora of New Zealand is roughly matched by the number of species of moths. You know, so there's 2,500 species of native plant that we more or less recognise, but at the moment, the moth fauna recognises is, is around 1,500. But you know there's a whole lot we more We know out there's there. more to describe, yeah. Do you think you're going to find new species here? It's quite likely within the life of the project that some taxonomists will ask some questions of what we find, and we're trying to put a reference set into Papa Museum. There's a neat thing about where we put this light, so it's at the intersection of two lovely little walkways, so there's like a, a tunnel through the bush in two different directions from here. And so uh, if you let the light shine down those, things will move and just, just work their way gradually in. Uh, but when we use a sweep net, uh, if you, you can catch a moth in the net and if you just hold it steady, the moth will just fly back out again. So sweep and then fold. There's now a whole lot of delicate yeah, yeah. net waving going on. It's like synchronised dancing. Yeah. The interesting thing is that there'll be some larger things that fly in, but we want to notice the small ones as well. Then we'll increase the... A list of different things we find quite a bit. We, d- we do have to collect, and that's an odd sort of thing. We, have to, we don't have to collect everything, but we have to collect some things because it flies past and you think you know what it is, but actually it's cryptic diversity. So what features of a moth do you need to identify it as a species? Oh, that's a lovely question. I guess if, you, if you're a great natural historian, the way it flies tells you a lot, actually. You know? uh, and then I guess there are some things that, that you know, some characters you learn from, from them. But moths are great to study because um, if, you, if you set the wings out so that you can see the hind wings and the forewings and both, both sides of those, that can help you narrow down quite a lot, you know, easily to family and usually to genus and, and quite often to species as well. But there are other features that moths have and, and on the around the heads and if you need to get detail then I guess you know like with a lot of insect studies uh, genitalia <laughs> dissection for some things or of course you know if you if you have got a reference set and we're still developing that for New Zealand in terms of the DNA 
using DNA barcoding, for instance. You know, not all our moths are barcoded. Some of these might well be species that, that um, an export authority determines what it is, and then we may help science, if you like, by, by having that barcoded, and then someone else collects another moth from somewhere else in New Zealand and could be the reference for that. So, George, I've just dragged you away a bit further from the generator, which is powering the light that's attracting the moths on, because there is a historical connection to this story, and it's a very personal historical connection. Can you tell me what that is? Indeed it is, with me. My grandfather lived within almost literally a stone's throw of where we are, and uh, he's responsible for this programme of uh, trying to recapitulate what moths live in this particular valley. He's a typical Victorian naturalist uh, who is somebody who is switched into making insects appeal, be beautiful, prepare them well, have collections which people admire, like old paintings, and quite a different approach from what became the science of the day as he lived here. So he lived through the period of the true naturalist, which he was, to the upcoming of the scientists who had been fully trained and kind of took over from him. So his um, full name, he was... George Vernon Hudson. And his house for 65 years was just on the ridge above us here. He came out from England when he was 14 with his father. So he lived there all that time and collected insects. And as his life went on, focused more and more on moths, what we call Lepidoptera. That brought him largely into this forest. And it couldn't have been that different from what it is now. And what we're checking really is whether the kind of insects that are in here today are similar to the ones that he got. Uh, what is different, what is new. We'll have moths from Australia, for instance, which must have settled here. There's going to be a lot of changes in the fauna. We've got agriculture developed, a lot of forest gone from the district around, Makra Hills, and so on. And it, it's just an overall exercise of summing up the whole fauna and using an index, and the index is the moths. And we do that because they're easy to catch at night with the ultraviolet light we're using. So what do we know about how many species of insects that Hudson found here? What do we know uh, about well, that? The beauty of that is, his systematic way of doing things, is that he had a registry, great big leather-bound volume, handwritten, of every insect he collected and put in his collection wow. throughout his life. So they're all numbered, and there's a letter denoting each one and where it went, whether he gave it away to somebody or put it in some other museum or kept it himself and so on. And by painstakingly going through that, page by page, you can tell every specimen that he collected. And the museum people here are trying to get volunteers at the moment to go through so that that register can be digitised and we can use it to look things up. There's no index to it or anything now. There's just the numbers on the specimens. And the numbers are on the underneath of the specimens, which is a Victorian habit. Put them out of sight so that doesn't obscure the beauty of them. And they had little short pins called English pins. And these English pins put the label right against the floor of the drawer they're sitting in. So it's a massive job to get one out and look at it underneath, get the number, write the number down, go to the registry and look up where he found it. But we've already done that with some specimens from here. And it's been quite revealing. There was one we collected on the trip that I did here, which was about October. Beautiful green moth. And it feeds on tutu, 
the poisonous shrub that we have, which causes the poisonous honey in a lot of parts of the country. And he never found that in here. And we were getting several specimens of that from here. So we know already that what we get is not going to be exactly the same, by any means, as what he got. And partly that is the collection method. If you use an ultraviolet light, you get a different selection of insects being drawn out of the forest. How did he catch his insects? By looking for them, Alison. He was a Hawkeye entomologist. Wow. He, he looked on the bark for the trees of what was there, what was sitting on it. He took a big umbrella, which he got put into a white um, cloth instead of the dark cloth normally, and he used a stick. And he went round beating vegetation with the stick, and the insects fell into the umbrella, and he picked them out of there. That was one of his main collection methods. He didn't get much at lights at the Karori house where he lived. The lights were very low. He had a Aladdin lamp, kerosene lamp. Uh, the street lights didn't attract many moths, so Wellington just didn't have the power of electricity to to do what we are doing. So the, the methods of collection are not parallel. And he came every three days of the week, you know, so he was here often for 65 years, which is what made the difference between him and us. <laughs> yeah, this is once a month for a year, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Now, we should say that um, your grandfather's love of uh, entomology and insects has stayed in the family, George, because you are quite the entomologist yourself. You would say that, yes. I'm just writing up his life at the moment for publication from his diaries, which my mum kept, and uh, I'm finding that out every day, things I didn't know about myself that were present in what he did and how he did things. It's quite scary. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, there's a lot of that. He tried to get me interested at the time. He died when I was eight, um, so I do remember him as a person, and I used to view his collection. He always showed me things that he'd found, and yeah, I was always interested in that. But I didn't take it up as a study until I had been to university and sort of started on my life's path. And then gradually I found myself doing insects. Why? <laughs> the answer's there now. Yeah. <laughs> so he travelled around New Zealand as well, this collection that he acquired, which is said to be one of the best in New Zealand. It's all in Te Papa, the whole thing is there, and it's original drawers. So that can be viewed exactly as he had it, how he managed it and looked after it. What a beautiful it's, legacy. It is, it's amazing, yeah. And what this project will do will is, is add another small leaf the, to the that legacy. The project will sort of use that as a baseline and try and assess what it is that we've got left with it. There's a worldwide movement that's a bit concerned at the moment about decline of insect populations in many parts of the world. And the problem is getting a good baseline, which you can actually measure where change has been. And so having this 100-year collection of this particular patch of forest is, is very tempting to try it in here. What do you think about this insect Armageddon? It's true and it's not true. It's hard to generalise. I think we're not in a position where we can actually assess that at the moment. I've seen studies which really don't fulfil the requirements and they're done in northern hemisphere forests, for instance, which are largely plantations now and you're not going to get anything like the same fauna in a planted forest. Is yeah. in harvested forest as you are here, for instance. And I think this is a big opportunity, especially as a, a particular sanctuary that it is. It'll be looked after into the future and it could become quite a monument for the kind of insects we had in the past. It's interesting because completely anecdotally, when I think about 
my lifetime, I used to drive around New Zealand and at night, it is true that my windscreen would be covered in squashed insects and yeah. it is increasingly true that my windscreen is, no longer has it's squashed insects yeah, on it. Right. And I can have the windows open at night with lights on and yeah. I get very few moths coming well, into the house. Well, people are commenting on that now, yes. Yeah. John Flux, whom you might have talked to at some stage in your interviewing career, John lives in Lower Hutt now, and he's been saying the same thing. He counts the moths on his windows at night, and the numbers are just, you know, on the fingers of one hand. And he said there used to be 30 or 40 sometimes. So it's, it's very noticeable to him. It's just getting a, a figure on it or some sort of estimate, a quantitative way of approaching it, which the scientist always wants to do. And this is an opportunity to take a step in that direction. So we're very fortunate to have such a keen entomologist, such a good record, and it was just here, no more than a kilometre away. Wonderful. Shall we go back and see what they've caught in our absence? Mm. So I've returned from chatting with George, and it looks like you are very busy here. Yeah, certainly it's a lot of moths turning up now. So there's lots more big things coming in. Well, there's some uh, bumbling chafer beetles, and, and then there's a bunch of various kinds of looper moths. So there's a fern looper, or two species of fern loopers, and, and some other things that, that feed on the shrubbery that are larger bodied. And then we've got quite a few smaller moths as well, some of the little feeding ones, and some tiny, quite small uh, micro moths that have larvae that live inside the leaf, mining leaves. Someone's just passed you something really rather beautiful. What's that? The genus is, is, is Arthur. And uh, it's a lichen-coloured moth. If that was sitting on the lichen, you just would not see it. It, it would blend in so well. But it's, it's a lovely pale green um, and black uh, tufts that stick up off the wings. Um, so, you know, it, it camouflages very well. But actually the interesting thing is that caterpillars feed on rotting wood and stuff, so, so they're not feeding on the lichens, even though they look like a lichen. Yeah. And there's a lot of species around, these around New Zealand. Some of them are endangered. There'd probably be three or four species here. You know, we're just seeing one at the moment. Maybe if we're lucky, we'll see another one or two. This one that's been seen very rarely, and, and it's, if, if we get a record of it here, um, it would be a new record for the Wellington region, and, and we think we're going to get records like that in the next mm. wee while. So that beautiful green 3D pattern on it, we should say to people, moths aren't drab and brown. They're far from it. You can. Oh, look at that one. That's a, a fairly common widespread moth called Mahoe stripper. It's cryptic green as you see it at rest there with its wings folded. But when it's flying, it has, has a, a lovely pink colour on the underwings. But that's not one you're collecting? It's sitting on the outside of a pottle at the moment? Um, or are you going to try well, and put it inside a pottle? We're confident of what this one is. It can just sit by the light. It might attract some mates. And if it's a female, then the pheromone might come out and, and we might see more. George is just looking at a geometric moth. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, Zyra Dagma, I think. Yeah. We've had that before, I think, haven't we? We've seen it on other traps, I think. Yeah, see, if that was sitting on the tree trunk, how would you know? This species is one of the ones that these makes holes in, in kawakawa, and they're pretty good at hiding from bird life, it turns out. So how are you enjoying yourself? That's great. Very interesting. Have you done this before? No, this is my first time. I've never paid much attention to moths before. So what's your impression? Um, they're very cool. Those green ones are particularly stunning. And the little ones are amazing too. Yeah, so much variety. They all sort of look the same when they're flapping around, but they're all quite different when you actually look at them. So, Will, you've been doing this for seven months. What kind of numbers of species have you been catching in the different months? It's quite a tricky question to answer because we're we're still working through them. If you're curating for the museum, 
you have to set the wings out um, and dry. We usually dry them for six weeks at least. And then after that, the micro-moth expertise to do that is we, it's not widespread in New Zealand. We'll be, we might actually send some to experts yeah. to look at. We'd be really fortunate that members of the iNaturalist community have been identifying stuff for us. Without iNaturalist, I would, this would take me a heck of a lot longer than, than, <laughs> than would be practicable uh, as a volunteer. <laughs> The Wellington region will have you know, 500 or more species of moths and ones that will come to light traps, you know, that's a few hundred um, of those. And, and so on any given night you might encounter 20 or, or 50 species, but of those, some of those are pretty common that you'll see most nights, but, it, but there's always a few that... That delight you. <laughs> that's right, that delight you. Or, you know, and, and, uh, and there's not many people doing this in New Zealand, so, so actually uh, you get new records of things that... You know, that have never been recorded in the Wellington region before. Like, um, and, and so we're not going to know it straight away. Um, it's going to take a little bit of detective work to get there. Yeah, I mean, Tapapa's a great source, right? I mean, Hudson's original collections, you can go to those. And, and so, you know, there's that patience that some people will have to sit down um, in, the, in the museum and, and work through and, and make those comparisons and do that in a scientific way. Yeah, not everyone wants to come out and, sp- and sit in the dark and, uh, or sit around a light in the dark like this. And so, you know, their job will be about um, setting, setting the material and drying it f- uh, for the museum, and others will be about um, looking at it um, or looking at online imagery, or others will be about uh, um, going through the old diaries that, uh, that George Freeman Hudson had 100 years ago and, and the notes that he wrote in those diaries and trying to transcribe that into, into one great big list. It's new, right? You know, it's been going seven months, but we think that it'll gather momentum. And you know, the interesting thing I, I'm always surprised about is how the predator-free movement has taken off in New Zealand. And there's so much expertise in how to control possums and stoats and rats. And people have, have, have developed such good observational powers and, and, and such good skill in the, in the forest um, at controlling those pests. Uh, but I'm always interested in why would you do that? And you would do it for those ecosystem engineers, for those things that change what the forest is like. You know, you do it for the, for the moth life um, and the beetle life and for the bird life. And so, you know, I want to know how the vegetation's benefiting, how the, how the birds are benefiting and how the insects are benefiting from those things and what's important. For me, it would be a motivation as to why you would go and do pest control. I think people were saying, well, I want to know more about the place I'm walking through all the time. And a project like this gives you a much deeper insight, doesn't it? Is this one of these new Australian ones? Oh, yeah. You grab that. You grab this. Uh, I saw George grab one before. What's the story with this, George? That's a, a recent arrival from Australia I just heard yesterday. And it's now appearing all over the South Island. I've just been yep. talking to a moth collector who's come back from there. And it's the most beautiful moth. I don't know what it feeds on. But it's only been here two or three years. It's sort of a charcoal black colour. Very dark charcoal rich colour, yeah. With, with beautiful symmetrical this spots. Is moth in the wow, look at the size of that. What kind of moth is that? It's a chelonia. Beautiful. They call them brown evening moths. It's sort of Something smudgy like and delicious. Yeah, I think they're commonish, but they're pretty impressive. And, and they're quite variable in their colouring, oh. from what I can see. Now we should point out it's just started to rain, so what does that mean for this insect hunting, this moth hunting expedition? I don't think the moths mine, but our generator and equipment probably does, so it might... It might curtail it for us? It might curtail our session, but we've done well today. No? It seems to be plentiful moths, so how did your last trip in January compare? They're similar but different, again, we've... Probably had a little bit more last month because we had the really big ghost moths turning up and a few other things. But 
no, it's still still a lot of new stuff that we didn't see last month, so it's pretty cool. I'm glad we came. So we do were. moths keep emerging sequentially during the seasons? Is that why you get a whole lot of one, moths one month that you might not see again the next month, but you see a whole lot of new ones? Yeah, someone told me once that insects vary in, in time and space, so you can be in the same place and see completely different uh, invertebrates in January in Wellington, and then you come back in, in March in Wellington and it's completely different, so... Yeah, that's why it's worth doing regularly, and that's why we're coming back to the same spot each time. It's quite cool. Quite cool to see the small differences. Thanks, William. William Brocklesby is organising the 100-Year Moth Project, which is a Wellington Entomological Society project in association with the Zealandia Sanctuary. We also heard Eric Edwards from the Department of Conservation, entomologist George Gibbs, and photographer Andrew Simpson. The 100-Year Moth Project is obviously not able to do any field collecting right at the moment, but they'll pick up again when lockdown levels permit. And why not create your own moth project? It's something you could easily do at home. There are some fantastic moth guides available online from the Te Ahi Pepe MothNet project. You'll find them on the Manaki Whenua Land Care Research website, and I'll put a link on our webpage. George Gibbs talked about John Flux counting the number of moths he sees on his windows each night. It's a simple project, but done repeatedly over time. It could tell you some very interesting things about the way your local moth population ebbs and flows. You can also follow the 100-Year Moth Project on iNaturalist. I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ first aired on the 23rd of April 2020. To listen again, head to our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. If you need some lockdown listening, use the search function to find previous stories about moths and butterflies, or just poke around in the episode archive to find plenty more stories on all sorts of science and environment topics. While you're there, you can also sign up for our free weekly email newsletter. RNZ Our Changing World is, of course, available on your favourite podcast app. Stay in touch. We're on Facebook and Twitter at RNZ Science. Many thanks for your company. Stay safe and keep washing your hands. Catch you next time. Na mihi.